outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 311. And today in the show, we're going to be talking about pre-rut hunting strategies, and then we're joined by two new hunters to discuss some close buck encounters and our recent mentored hunt in Michigan. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, brought to you by Onyx. Today, we've got a fun show. We've got an interesting show, a couple different things we're going to be covering Joining me here shortly is Josh Furter Hilliard and two new hunters, Dan Jajo and Mike Romine, who joined us recently for a Field to Fork event here in Michigan. Now, this is a program ran, in this case, jointly by the Quality Deer Management Association and Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, in which we trained up eight new hunters and paired them with mentors for a weekend of hunting and camaraderie. And I was privileged to get to be one of those mentors. So today we're going to recap that event and hear from Mike and Dan about, you know, what brought them to hunting, what brought them to this event, uh, the challenges they've faced trying to learn how to do this whole thing and what this whole experience they had this past weekend meant to them and, and how it hopefully helped arm them for the future. And I just got to tell you, the, at least for me, the experience was, was awesome. Uh, and I'm just, I'm going to be doubling down on doing this kind of thing and trying to help mentor more people because I just can't tell you how much fun it was to share my love of hunting with someone who was actively interested in learning, like craving a learning opportunity and just not having anyone else to go to. Um, it was great. It was very fulfilling and it's a need. There's a lot of people out there who want to learn, who don't have a friend or a family member or a place or a resource to help get started. So, I hope coming out of this, you will, uh, I don't know. I think after you hear from these two guys who both had really cool close encounters, I think once you hear their their raw motion from these experiences, ah, I, I don't know, it just brought me back to my early days and I loved it. So that's what we're going to chat about here in a second. But before we get to all that, I do want to make sure we talk some deer hunting strategy because 
when this podcast drops, if you're listening to it on the day it comes out, that's October 24th, 2019. And that's basically what I consider the beginning of the pre-rut for most parts of the country. That means things are going to be getting real good here soon. So I want to make sure I'm arming you all with at least a few ideas or reminders as we head into these important hunting dates. Um, So I thought I would give you kind of a a real quick cliff note set of advice to keep in mind, kind of a compilation of high level pointers that, that I picked up over my years hunting or from the many conversations we've had with so many great hunters on this podcast. So, you know, if you listen to the podcast all the time, this isn't brand new stuff. This is reminders, but hopefully we can put it together in a succinct way here to, to make sure we're thinking about the right things as we get into the, we're really approaching it. The Super Bowl, the whitetail season. I mean, it's getting good. So some quick ideas to keep in mind. Number one, this upcoming time frame, let's say October 24th through the 31st or so, Halloween time frame, this can be one of the absolute best times of year to kill an old mature buck that's local to your property. You know, if you've got a homebody buck, a deer that maybe you've seen a bunch or you know he spends a lot of time in your farm or maybe it's a deer that you're always getting on camera all over the place, but it's always after dark, this is possibly your best chance to kill him because in the coming days, testosterone levels are really going to be getting high for your local bucks and they're going to be feeling real frisky, but the does probably won't be ready to breed yet, at least not in any kind of really high numbers. So what you're looking at and what you're going to have is a mature buck that wants to get on his feet a little bit earlier than usual to scope out does, but he's not going to be going full bore yet. He's not going to be cruising all over the country. He's going to be sticking close to his local stomping grounds. And if you know what the buck's usual routine is, or at least know some of the like the key stopping points along the way, you can really take advantage of that knowledge right now and catch him when he's just a little bit more vulnerable. But if we wait, and if you're not doing this, if you're not getting after it right now, if you fast forward two weeks and we're into November, man, all bets might be off. I mean, that buck could be chasing does all over the place. He could take a mile sojourn in a new direction and maybe never makes it back. Uh, You just can't predict what these deer will do with much certainty once the rut gets cranking. So the point of all this is to say that if you have a homebody buck right now and you've got him nailed down, if you know where he's bedded or if you know where he's feeding after dark or some kind of intel like that, this is a really good time to get aggressive. So if the conditions are right, get after him hard. But, But remember, you still want to hunt this deer on October patterns. So you want to be intercepting him, going to his bed or leaving it or heading out to feed. You're not going to be shifting into those full bore rut strategies yet. Now, number two, speaking of conditions being right, at this time of year, if you get a good cold front pushing through, it is game time. I mean, cold fronts are exciting any time of year, but it just seems like a big cold front in late October just takes things to a whole different level. Uh, if I'm seeing a front hitting during that last week of the month or so, I'm looking at that as, as just as good as anything happening in November. I mean, I'm canceling work. I'm rushing to get all my chores done, uh, putting the out-of-office email up, turning off my phone. I'm getting in a tree no matter what. You just got to be out for there for those days and, and aggressive because you can definitely get it done. Um, so keep that in mind. Number three. As we're trying to build the strategy further, we're looking at the conditions. Yes, conditions are good. The time of year is good. That buck's going to be a little bit more vulnerable. Now, number three, look back on trail camera pictures from prior years 
to help predict what's going to happen over the next few days. If there's a buck that you're after this year and you've had pictures of him from previous years, you've got a hugely important tool at your disposal. Use those pictures to inform your future strategy. They don't just tell you what he did. They can also help tell you what he's going to do. Bucks oftentimes have kind of an annual pattern in which they'll start visiting the same general areas at the same time each year, or they'll start moving in daylight right around the same time each year. Um, there's, it's not a hard and fast rule, but oftentimes we see this trend. So look for that and use it to predict when and where to hunt that buck over these final October days, you know, because things are going to get wonky soon. So use that past intel to tell you, okay, maybe you can look back at all the pictures of, of your big eight-pointer. And the big eight pointer, maybe last year, the first daylight pictures of him were October 27th. And the year before that, the first daylight pictures were October 25th. If you see that, man, you sure as heck better be in a tree during that time period this week um, if everything lines up. So look at that stuff. Think about that stuff. Uh, number four, another thing to think about at this time of year as we're transitioning is that calling can start working very well, right? Everything's ramping up. Testosterone's rising. Females are edging closer and closer to being an estrus. Uh, tensions are just really high in the woods. So if you see a buck out of range, it's definitely time to consider making some noise. Now, I personally like to start with something light, like a little contact grunt, just a little brah, just to try and get a buck's attention to see if I can get him curious. Now, if that doesn't work and if his body language seems okay, he's not getting spooky, next I might try a snort wheeze. Now, this is a really aggressive call. It sounds like this. That's basically like walking into a bar, pushing a guy in the back, and flipping him the bird. I mean, it's, a, it's fighting. <laughs> if it's a real big old buck, you know, he's probably or at least hopefully going to come in for a fight. But if it's a wimpy little guy or a little buck, he's probably going to tuck tail and run. So, so make sure you keep in mind that's not something to do if you're trying to call in a year and a half old buck. Now, finally, it also might be worth trying to rattle, you know, smashing antlers together to simulate a fight. But I do think this really depends a lot on where you hunt. You know, here in Michigan, there's there's a ton of hunters and there's relatively few mature bucks compared to other places. So here, I don't like to prattle very much at all, especially not early. Um, but if you're in a state like Kansas or Nebraska or Iowa, one of these states where there's fewer hunters but many more mature bucks, you definitely can try cracking the antlers because, man, there's no doubt there are a lot of real fights happening at this point. Now, the biggest thing to keep in mind uh, if you're going to do this, if you're going to try some kind of calling, whether it's rattling, grunting, whatever, doe bleats, bucks almost always want to approach a sound they hear, a call from the downwind side. If it's possible, they're going to try to circle downwind of you. So be really careful about that when you choose to call. You know, if you've got a buck that is close to being downwind for you, but not quite there and isn't walking in that direction. If you grunt, all of a sudden you are going to trigger him to turn and get downwind of you. You're going to force him to get downwind of you and he's going to wind you and run away. So don't call in that situation. So either try to call when he's way upwind of you, or if you have some kind of barrier behind you that's going to keep him, you know, keep him from winding you. Maybe that's a river or some nasty tangle that a buck's just not going to be able to get through. Make sure you're thinking about that wind. Uh, number five, if you're ever wanting to use scrapes within your hunting strategy, now is the time. Uh, research has shown that buck visitation to scrapes peaks in late October. So if you're new to hunting and you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, basically scrapes are these big 
kicked up patches of dirt that you're going to find out in the woods, maybe the size of, uh, I don't know, like a computer desk kicked up. You're going to see this big patch of dirt and there's going to be a branch hanging over top of it. This is where a buck will come in. He's going to kick that up. He's going to make that sign. He's going to take a leak. He's going to pee in that dirt. He's going to rub his head on that overhanging branch. He's going to deposit a bunch of scent. He's essentially leaving a message for other deer. And now oftentimes these visits, they're happening after dark. But at this time of year, late October, that's been shown to be the top time for them to be visiting the scrapes. And it's probably your best opportunity to catch one of those visits during daylight. So especially if you find a fresh scrape that's way back in the cover, it's in some thick stuff, it's in the timber, that can be a dynamite location. Um, I personally don't set up very often just to hunt a specific scrape, but what happens for me a lot is I'm in an area for another reason. Maybe I know this is a transition between bedding and feeding. I've got pictures of a deer stepping out of this piece of timber, whatever it might be. If I'm in a zone of interest and I'm trying to find the spot within the spot, that's where a scrape comes in really helpful. If I can find that scrape, that helps me zero in on the specific location that I want to be within range of. So keep that in mind. Finally, Number six, when you're heading out for your next hunt or your next couple hunts here, hopefully this week sometime or this weekend, I want you to head into the field thinking and believing that you're going to send an arrow. Think through your plan. Set up with attention to detail. Don't just go out to a random spot for shits and giggles. Really try to think it through. Think about, you know, what's the wind doing? Where do I think the deer are bedded? Uh, where do I think the deer are going to go feed? What do I know from previous sightings? What do my cameras tell me? What do the conditions make me think is going to happen tonight? Think through all that. Look at all the data. Put together a well-informed, confident hunt. A few well-planned hunts like this are just worth so much more than a whole bunch of willy-nilly hunts. And when you do head in for a hunt with with this kind of background and, and preparation in place, you're going to have this sense of confidence and anticipation that's that's both really exciting and really helpful. Because when you go in with a solid plan and that confidence, you get this, it's, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy effect. You're going to walk in just a little bit slower and a little bit more quietly to your stand. You're going to be just a little bit more careful moving in the tree stand. You're going to scan with your binoculars just a little bit more. Your senses are just going to be cranked and you're going to be mentally ready for whatever steps out. And that mental readiness, that can absolutely make or break your hunt. So get out there over these coming days. Be confident, be prepared, and have fun. I mean, this is what we've waited all year for. This is this is it. And I, for one, am stoked. So with all that said, the rest of our conversation today, it's about introducing other people to this thing we just talked about. I mean, how how lucky are you and I that we get to hunt and enjoy experiences like this and geek out over late October strategy and dream about November? I mean, this is this is living. But a lot of people never get introduced to it or they're intrigued, they're interested, but they don't know how to get started. They don't know how to do it on their own. That's where mentoring comes in. And, and I think and I hope that after hearing about this mentor hunt experience that I just had and that these guys just had and hearing how impactful it was for these new hunters, I think maybe a few more of you will, will hopefully be as energized as I am to keep introducing more and more people to this crazy thing we love so much. So 
That's the game plan. I'm thinking uh, we take a very quick break here, and then we're going to get right into it. All right, here with me now I have the infamous Josh Furter Hilliard. I have Dan Jajo, and I have Mike Romine. Thank you guys all for uh, hopping on to do this chat after we just spent so much time together over the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Yep, definitely. Thank you. Hey, it's uh, it's it's my pleasure. I mean, this whole experience we just had, at least for me, was a whole lot of fun, but I like getting to have this kind of debrief opportunity. Like we just had an experience over the last three days, and it's easy to sometimes just get caught up in life and just running forward to whatever the next thing is. And having this podcast afterwards, at least for me, has given me a nice opportunity to kind of reflect back on it and think about, okay, why was that such a cool thing? Why would I want to do that again? What did I learn? Um, what could I have done better as a mentor? Um, so I've had an opportunity to do that. And maybe this will give each one of you a little bit of an opportunity to do that too. And hoping maybe folks listening will either learn something or be inspired or get intrigued by what we have to say. So I think, uh, I think where we need to start then, Josh, is a quick cliff notes on what this whole thing is. Cause just before this, I had I, I introduced the basic concept, but we need to hear from you on on what field the fork is. We had a podcast all about this earlier in the year. There's an episode on Meat Eater where we did a great job explaining this, but for those that haven't heard those, what was this thing that just happened over the weekend? Yeah, so um, this is a this is a is actually a joint um, event this weekend with. Uh, Michigan chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, and then Quality Deer Management Association. Um, and it was a, our Field to Fork program. Um, and BHA has a similar program called Hunting for Sustainability. Um, very similar programs. I'll talk about uh, like our Field to Fork program, though. Um, it's basically what it was modeled after. Um, so we started this program a few years ago now down at our, um, our national headquarters just outside of Athens, Georgia. Um, where, uh, Hank Forrester, who's our hunting programs, our hunting heritage programs manager, um, and one of his colleagues, um, Charles Evans got together and, and, uh, this, this program had been out there and and they said, Hey, I think we can kind of take this to the next level. Um, so their plan was to go to farmer's markets and try to, you know, hand out venison samples and then, uh, kind of use that as a lead into asking people if they would ever uh, consider hunting or be interested in learning how to hunt. Um, And then they would take these people that they signed up at the farmer's market and they'd put them through training um, about deer behavior and the biology and uh, hunt uh, shot placement and ethics and um, hunting 101 stuff, just trying to give them a good baseline knowledge of of what they're getting themselves into. And they spend a lot of time at the archery range. Uh, for this for this particular program, most people are using crossbows um, just from a proficiency standpoint. Um, and then they'd take them out on a, on a hunt um, at some property that we have uh, at our national headquarters. And it was a, it was a program that was targeted at adults um, who are interested in sourcing you know, their own protein or their own local, you know, source of food. Um, And we kind of thought what better way or what better resources out there than a lot of these deer in people's backyards for 
you know, people to have a sustainable source of protein. Um, and it was really a big hit. It, it kind of just took off right away. We had waiting lists for the events that we were putting on in, uh, in Georgia. And we really piloted it down there for a year or two. And we're, we're starting to expand it out across the country now um, in states where we have branches and uh, a good QDMA volunteer base in, in certain states. And I think this year we're going to have between 20 and 25 of these field to fork events um, across 12 states. Um, and again, it's it's an adult focused program where we're 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 focusing on adults um, who, who can then go out and replicate um, this type of hunt on their own. Um, without somebody taking them or without needing to call someone for a ride or, you know, who may have disposable income where they can go purchase gear, um, et cetera. So that's kind of a really high level overview of it. Um, is that good for, for this discussion, Mark? You want me to go into a little bit more detail? No, I think that's, I think that's perfect. So, so essentially what we have here is you and and your partner over at BHA helped set up a version of that kind of event here in Michigan, um, where we had eight hunters and eight mentors. I think was the number, right, Josh? Um, and we did that. Yeah, pretty cool situation. Rented some cabins in a local state park, I guess you would call it, and a bunch of public land all around there. And we were all able to get together for the weekend for. The weekend of hunting and camaraderie and all that kind of stuff. And two of the hunters that were there were Mike and Dan. So for you two, what I wanted to hear to start is a little bit of your background. Because uh, you both have different situations, different circumstances that led you to meeting us this weekend. Um, so I kind of want to just dive into that a little bit because I think it's a it's an interesting thing for for us experienced hunters to be reminded of, you know, how other people might, you know, be looking at hunting, how other people might be intrigued by hunting, but not knowing where to go to figure out how to do it. Um, so, uh, Dan, do you want to kind of give us a little bit of, of your background, how you developed an interest in hunting, what the things were, you know, what other outdoor activities maybe brought you into this kind of world and, and all that? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So I grew up in southeastern Michigan, I guess you could call it the metropolitan Detroit area. Um, not really coming from a, a hunting family, um, not really having any peers or friends that really got into hunting at a early age. Um, but what I did have was <clears throat> some brothers that got me into fishing. Um, so I was kind of always into fishing. And then as I got older, I started kind of expanding my interest in the outdoors to, you know, mountain biking, backpacking, hiking. So, um, kind of developed that interest early on of just being outside and exploring nature. <clears throat> but I always had a curiosity around, you know, the hunting realm of things and always thought it was something I could see myself getting into, but didn't necessarily have any avenues to really pursue it with elders that could show me the ropes or friends or friends, parents that could take me along. I guess fast forward to, uh, to college, I had uh, dated a girl that her family had some property in Northern Michigan and uh, lucky enough to have her dad take me out on a couple hunts, um, which I thought was super cool and super interesting. And um, immediately, you know, started to develop that interest of, you know, really seeing myself doing this in the future. Um, kind of around that same time, I, uh, you know, I kind of fell into inheriting a bow from um, a brother's friend. <clears throat> 
And uh, right there, I started shooting it and having some fun with it and kind of saw it as a tool to maybe enable myself to, you know, maybe pursue hunting and at a later point in time. Um, you know, graduated college, long story short, short, didn't end up with that girl. So um, <laughs> couldn't really pursue that avenue for uh, uh, hunting. Uh, moved to Chicago, kind of uh, got away for, from all my outdoor activities that I did for a little bit. A um, couple years later, actually moved back to Michigan and kind of picked up where I left off with fishing and hiking and backpacking. Um, so, you know, that kind of started to develop my interest back into, you know, shooting my bow again and maybe seeing if I could pursue hunting again. Um, you know, I, I think it was one weekend I came across the Mediator show on Netflix, and I think I binge watched the, all the season like a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so that kind of inspired me right there to maybe really take it seriously. Um, you know, with that, I also ran into your podcast, Mark. So I, I thought that was a cool resource to maybe learn a few things about, you know, some things in my area, being that you're a whitetail hunter, you're from Michigan and maybe pick up on some things there. But what I found was I was getting really excited when I listened to your stuff, but I was also getting really frustrated at the same time because it just made me realize that my situation was super difficult to maybe have a friend tag along or, maybe run this by this question I had by, you know, uh, uh, an older, more experienced person than I was in the whole hunting, um, realm. So, um, you know, kind of stuck, stuck with it, kept shooting my bow. And then, um, um, I think it was probably a month ago. I ran into that meat eater podcast that I think you had mentioned earlier and they were talking about the field and fork program. And I said, well, well, this could be a cool opportunity for me to maybe learn some things, maybe meet some new people. Got on the website. I had emailed it. I'm emailed, excuse me, uh, Hank Forrester. And, uh, he passed my contact information along to Josh. And, uh, you know, I talked to Josh a little bit. Josh told me he had a couple opportunities and, you know, I figured I'd take him up on it, kind of get out of my comfort zone and maybe, you know, spend a weekend trying to learn and absorb as much as possible. And, uh, you know, that's kind of what, what led me to this weekend and meeting you guys and having some, some cool, cool experiences and definitely some cool memories. And now you're on the podcast itself. <laughs> hey, there you go, man. Um, funny how things work out. It is. Uh, so what about you, Mike? I know you've got a, a, a pretty different set of circumstances than that. Um, but you still ended up in the same place. Give us, give us your story. Yeah. My background is basically the opposite of his, um, interestingly enough. Uh, so I grew up in a totally hunting family and big time fishermen. I mean, we were outside all the time and I grew up hunting rabbits and squirrels and trapping stuff and, you know, all kinds of stuff, a lot of gun sport, um, all that kind of stuff. But long story short, um, I took on a career as a professional chef and later a restaurateur and um, you know, nights and weekends work, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. And basically, um, living the life of a restaurateur doesn't leave you a lot of opportunity to get up at four o'clock in the morning because you just went to bed at two. Um, and so it, it's a, it's a tough thing to be able to fit that time in, I guess, while you're in that mode. So here I am, uh, 15 years later and my life is a little bit different. And now I'm kind of saying to myself, let me work to live instead of live to work. And let me make some time to get back to the things that I love. And one of the things that really interested me about this program is that when I was growing up, I didn't have a lot of 
what I would call technical training from my dad. You know, he took us out there, but, you know, I had my two brothers and myself, so he was trying to show us all at the same time. And it was more like, uh, here's a spot in a bucket, sit on it and wait for a deer to come by kind of training. Yeah. And so I was looking forward to that one-on-one kind of, you know, thoughts about, you know, how do the deer live? How do they move? Why do they move? How do I choose a good spot to hunt? How do I, how do I be a more technically advanced hunter as opposed to, you know, throw a bag of corn out there and wait for them to come by? Mm-hmm. I know we can't throw corn out there now, right. uh, but, you know, when I was growing up, that's how it was. So yeah. that's kind of my story. And, you know, it was an awesome opportunity to get back to my roots and to learn and to just, you know, I never give up a good opportunity for a weekend in a cabin. So it was an <laughs> yeah. awesome, awesome experience. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were on to something because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself and you can find what you need in store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Yeah. yeah, it's really cool because one of you came from a hunting background, one of you came from no hunting background, but the end result was that neither one of you was was a hunter, right? Mike, you had an opportunity early on and, and just, you know, there wasn't the the experience and someone to help teach you along the way. And so you kind of fell fell away from it. Career got in the way and then still no outlet to then learn how to get back into it. And then with Dan, increasing, increasing interest in the outdoors and then an intrigue in hunting, but no way to really get any hands-on experience, no one to show you what's what. Um, so the point being, I think, for me at least, when I got to meet you guys and hear your stories and hear the stories from all the other hunters there in camp was – 
there's all these different all these different backgrounds that people come from and there's all these different challenges that might keep them from being interested in hunting to actually becoming a hunter like that jump from interested to actually being a hunter is a big one and there's a bunch of obstacles in the way this isn't like i don't know this isn't like getting into fantasy football right i mean if you if you're interested in fantasy football you can go online read a couple i don't know read a couple articles watch a youtube video and basically know how to do it how to get involved sign up for a league you don't need to have friends that are into it you don't need to have anybody who can share with it, you anything you can just sign up and do it and you've got a whole new hobby and there you go you're a fantasy football person <laughs> if you develop an interest in hunting just from watching meat eater or having some family that used to do it but now you don't know how to get back into it. You know, if you're in that situation, how the heck do you get going? There's so much gear you need. There's the challenge of trying to find a place to go. There's the challenge you brought up, Mike, which is even if you've been out there before, if no one's actually showed you and shared with you the details of what you're trying to do and how to do it, you know, that's a frustrating situation too. Um, so I think it's really easy for people like me or Josh who have been hunting for a long time to take all that for granted, which is, which is why, at least for me, this weekend was, was a really important reminder that, you know, it's, it's not a given. It's not easy for someone to get into it. Um, now you kind of both alluded to a couple of these things, but especially maybe Dan, especially or both of you really, can you elaborate a little bit on what some of those frustrations were like you said it was frustrating dan when you developed this like interest in hunting like you started listening to the wired hunt podcast a little bit but then it was frustrating um can you just right. elaborate on the on that a little bit like these things i just mentioned is that basically the gist of how you were feeling or or what was it yeah. that was making it hard for you to take that next leap and actually get out there in the woods doing this yeah definitely Definitely. So, I mean, some of the frustrations I had, you know, you spoke on it a little bit, Mark, was, you know, knowing what gear to get get into, right? I mean, you look at the market and there's a ton of different things you can you can spend your money on from tree stands to, to, uh, to jackets to, you know, archery equipment, calls, I mean, you name it. So, you know, when, when people would talk about, you know, well, I got this tree stand that helps me do this, I, I don't really know what exactly they're talking about. I don't have a friend that maybe has this type of tree stand versus a, uh, a ladder stand that I could ask, well, what do you think is better? What, what would you think would be more applicable to my certain situation where I'm hunting state land versus private land? Um, some of those frustrations that I couldn't just readily reach out to somebody and ask, um, there was that aspect of it. Um, there was the, the whole strategy aspect of it to where, you know, some of the, the, uh, the podcast would talk about, you know, a certain wind direction that you would need to be cognizant of to different food sources that you would need to pay attention for and, and getting out there and trying to find and locate and identify those things um, was certainly something that I could probably go do by myself, but it would almost be like a guessing game out in the field where I'd point out, okay, well, this is an acorn tree. And then, you know, I can see, I think what looks like maybe is a rub. I'm not really sure. So you know, I can pull up a Google image of what that might look like, but, you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to always question myself to definitely say, like, you know, I think I saw one, but not totally sure if I really did. So yeah. I found myself, like, just super frustrated with that kind of situation that, you know, I, I just, you know, wanted to do something about it. And luckily, you know, I got involved with a great program and was uh, 
fortunate to have like a great mentor take me out and point out all those specific things and say, you know, this is the rub, this is the scrape, this is the wind direction that we're dealing with. We're going to approach the strategy this way. I just thought was just invaluable to me. You know, I, something that I didn't have before that kind of opened up my, my whole perspective of, okay, this is what I need to do now. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a great that's a great observation. You know, something else that I think it was Nick, one of the other mentees, had brought up when we were all chatting over the weekend. He said that one of the big things that had kind of been intimidating to him as he decided he wanted to get into hunting but was kind of worried about was the whole dealing with the deer after you shoot it. Like the whole like the whole idea of like, okay, now I just I just shot this deer what the heck do i do i mean you can watch a youtube video you can see it on mediator you can read an article about it but it's it's very different there in person is that something that kind of weighed in the back of your conscience too did you ever look at that and say gosh how the heck am i going to handle that oh definitely definitely i mean staring at a you know an animal that i just shot and thinking okay i know i need to do something with this not exactly sure what and then the fear of messing something up and having you know things go wrong. And, um, you know, I, that just was a total unknown to me. And, um, unfortunately we didn't tag anything this weekend, but I mean, having somebody there to kind of help you out and walk you through the whole process is I think so important to, to learning your way and, and figuring how, figuring out how to do things the right way. Yeah. Mike, was there anything else for you that stood as a challenge for you to get back into hunting or anything that you were getting frustrated with or, or something that eventually led you to a point where you thought, you know, what, damn it, I gotta, I gotta find someone who's going to help me. And that led you to, to this program. Yeah. Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because I really have, you know, have all, all the equipment that I need and I have all the stuff that I need. And I even have some of the background, I guess, at least to do the type of hunting that I was familiar with from before. Um, however, when I, I came across this program, it was just like, man, I really need to do that. I need to get out there and I need to learn a little bit more. And it's just like how sometimes in life you just kind of get stuck in a rut where you have things that you want to do. Um, but you just, don't necessarily know how to get up and running. And sometimes all you need is just that little bit of a jump start yeah. um, that gets you moving. And I think one of the things for me that was really important was that I have these uh, places that are kind of near where I live that I've hunted before. And I feel like at any point in time, I could get up and go there and hunt those places because I've done it before, because somebody set me up there, because I knew what to do. But right here in my backyard, less than 10 minutes from my house, I have a huge piece of state land that I could hunt at any time. But, but how do I do that? How do I go in there? Where do I, where do I look to, to find the best spot? It was like, how do I get started doing that? I, I don't really want to drive two hours to and from where I'm going to hunt. Um, so that to me was really pretty important. And just to tag a little bit onto what Dan was saying, what you guys are talking about with um, dealing with the deer afterwards. Interestingly enough, in my job, I'm a professional butcher. Um, we own a butcher shop. Um, I still get calls every season from people that are experienced deer hunters that still don't, aren't super comfortable with how to deal with it afterwards. So I think it's important to note that the network that's built from this event is also really important. Yeah. Just to have someone that you can 
you know, shoot a text to or send a picture to and, and kind of come back and say, hey, does this look right? Just that reassurance, I think, is pretty powerful. Very, very true. I think that ultimately that might be the greatest win out of this whole thing. Like it was a great weekend, but hopefully the the final outcome is long-term relationships between all the different mentors and the different mentees and the fact that, yeah, like if you, Mike or Dan or any of the other folks have a question or you hit a deer and you need help tracking it or anything like that, you now have people you can call. You now have folks who can help you or can chat in the phone with you and walk you through things. And that's probably harder to come by than we realize, especially if, you, if you're in a situation where you're not around a bunch of other hunters. Like if you live in Metro Detroit and you're not from a hunting background, um, I'm, I'm guessing, Dan, you don't have a whole bunch of buddies that are hunting that could help you do this kind of stuff, right? Based off what you're saying. No, not necessarily. <laughs> exactly. um, so whether, you know, whether you're in that case with no hunting family or friends or in Mike's case where you had that background, but you just need someone to actually show you how to do it on your own and not just to sit there and do what dad said. Um, that's why I think this is pretty cool. So let's get into what happened over the weekend. So you guys found the program, you signed up for it. We all got together Friday night at these cabins that Josh had rented. Um, I'll give like a really quick rundown of the basic situation. And then any one of you guys can jump in here and provide more detail or something. But basically we had these cabins for the weekend. Friday night we all got together and just, you know, have some beverages, talk, you know, just tell our stories, introduce each other, just get to know each other. Um, And then we cooked a bunch of wild game. We had... Oh gosh, what all do we have? Someone made venison shank. Someone made a pheasant stew, I think. Um, I made some heart. Some uh, squirrel. Yeah, maybe that was it. Was a squirrel stew? Not yeah, I think a squirrel stew. stew, like a venison uh, tortellini, um, some venison summer sausage. Yeah, we had all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, the goal is to have kind of like each mentor bring like a little dish to pass, and uh, preferably wild game. And I think if we, it was all wild game that night. I think. Yeah. Um, now Mike, I know you'd had venison in the past, but Dan, had you had venison before that? Yeah, I have a few times just through, um, you know, my, my friend's parents that had me up north and presented that. Yep. Now have you ever had venison heart? Uh, no, I think I missed that this weekend. Oh, you didn't (laughs) didn't even get it this weekend? Oh man. No, I I missed that part. That's all right. Yeah. You missed (laughs) out because it was damn good. Was really oh, I'm good. sure. I'm sure. I had some of the back traps, though, so that uh, definitely uh, could say that was pretty good. That's good. Uh, I'm going to take your comment, Mike, and uh, hold that close because uh, you're being a professional chef. I'm quite proud that a professional chef thought my heart turned out well. <laughs> yeah, it was honestly super great. I was impressed by all the food that was there that night. Um, you know, I've had a lot of. Uh, wild game and that may or may not always be good um but this group had a really nice nice output (laughs) good i'm glad yeah the pressure was on you know you don't want to cook something up for new hunters and then make it terrible and they're like oh what the heck am i here for (laughs) yeah Uh, and especially one of those new hunters is a is a professional chef yeah exactly (laughs) so but it all turned out pretty good and um we had a bonfire and everyone's hung out and had a good time that night. And we all, almost everyone stayed at the cabins overnight. So we had very full bunkhouse of dudes and a lesser full cabin of, of well, quite a few, I guess it was, I don't know, 
what was the split, Josh? There was six yeah, women had, and twelve guys. Yeah, we or had um, something like that. We, so we had uh, five guys and three gals of the hunters, um, and then we had each of them paired with uh, a mentor of the same sex. So I okay. guess we had we had ten guys and uh, what would that have been six six, six ladies. Women. So I think I think nine guys were at the cabin and and five ladies were in the the women's cabin yeah so, so they we, had a lot more room to spread out they did we were you and me had to share a futon um, yeah, yeah. bunch of close <laughs> folks and bunch of folks in bunk beds um but you know it, i gotta say for taking that many different people who've most almost everyone hadn't met before um and everyone bunking up and hanging out for three days um, it, I, I feel like it went surprisingly well, like everyone got along. It seemed like everyone was really included in conversations and having a good time. Um, I don't know. How did you guys feel? Mike, Dan, you, did you feel comfortable pretty quickly? Did it, did it, was it, or was it really awkward? I mean, how did it feel? Oh, I thought it no, was great. It, I mean, it's just like, takes me back to deer camp, you know, my childhood memories. So everyone's there for the same purpose. Everyone's there to, to teach and be taught. And, um, it was an awesome group. Yeah. what do you think, Dan? Yeah, no, I, I thought it was great. I think that first night it came in a little late and yeah, I told you guys straight up, like, you know, I'm definitely out of my comfort zone a little bit. I'm just about to spend a couple, couple nights with a bunch of dudes I've never met before. Um, but it turned out really well. I mean, we all gathered with a, with a common interest in mind. And, um, I think all the conversations that we had and all the things that we did was just a ton of fun. So I think it worked out perfectly. Yeah. That's, that's definitely how I was feeling too. It was, uh, it was just fun. I mean, it was legitimately fun, which is a, which is a nice thing. Um, and the next morning, though, unfortunately, we had to wake up very early, which I just, I hate those early mornings. That's the only thing I don't like about hunting is waking <laughs> up early. Uh, but we did. We got up early. We went out and hunted. And and I'll kind of fast forward through most of the hunt. Um, I want to kind of zero in on your guys' specific experiences. But uh, we were hunting public land. Everyone was spread out different places. Almost nobody had hunted here before. So we were all kind of trying to figure out stuff as we went. Um and we all had our own challenges, I guess. Like that first morning, me and Mike, we headed out, um, tried to get in one place. It was too wet and flooded, so we had to go to another spot. Had to come from a different route that I didn't really like, and we got in there late, didn't see anything. Um, and what, that first morning, I don't think anyone, did anyone see any deer the first morning, or were there a few does sighted off in the distance? Do you remember? I think there was a, I think there was a few does that were um, sighted, had a couple people um, bump deer, I think on the way in. Um, but yeah, no, like real close calls or anything that first morning. Yeah. It was um, a little hectic though. I mean, we had people getting ground blinds set up in the dark and all that kind of stuff. So it definitely wasn't an ideal morning. Yeah. You know what you should mention, Josh, explain also like the gear situation. Like you guys yeah. had all sorts of yeah, gear sure. for people, right? Yeah. So, so, um, this is kind of where like a lot of the partnerships of the other organizations come into play. Um, at least here in Michigan, we're, we're, we're very fortunate. We have a couple of trailers that have been, um, kind of purchased by different organizations, uh, uh, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, um, NWTF or National Wild Turkey Federation, Pheasants Forever, um, and Michigan DNR has this Learn to Hunt program. So we've got a couple of trailers that through Pittman-Robertson dollars, um, and grants and stuff like that. We've been able to to stock these trailers with 
uh, crossbows and ground blinds and camo um, and really anything that a new hunter would need um, to, to go through a program like this, whether it be deer or they use those trailers for turkey hunts or pheasant hunts. Um, they do a small, learn to hunt small game. So we've got all the tools that um, these people need. Uh, they just really need to show up with some, you know, if it's going to, it was pretty cold this weekend. So some like cold gear, um, you know, keep their hands and, and feet warm, things like that. We, we've got basically everything else for uh, these, these new hunters to use. Yeah. And I th- so we're, we're fortunate here. That's not available everywhere. That's just um, through some partnerships that uh, we've made here in, in Michigan and, and um, organizations working together uh, for the same efforts. Yeah, that is that was really nice to have. So nobody had to worry about, you know, if you didn't have a bow or if you didn't have a crossbow, you could still participate. If you didn't have camouflage, you could still participate. If you didn't have whatever, we had you covered. Um, that was great. Now, uh, Dan... You brought your own crossbow, and you got to at least consider using it on that night's hunt. Walk me through your second hunt of the weekend. You were with Jason, Jason Meekoff from Backcountry Hunters and Anglers was your mentor. Um, walk me through that night. You guys headed in, and I had a pretty exciting hunt, right? Yeah, no, it was awesome. So, so like you said, I, I had the opportunity of bringing my own uh, compound bow. And, um, I wanted to make sure, you know, Josh and Jason were comfortable with me using it before I went out in the field and tried to shoot something with it. Um, but it was a cool opportunity for me to use what I've been practicing on, uh, you know, real life experience like this. Um, so Jason took me out. Uh, first thing he told me and said, Hey, I've never hunted the spot before, but I think it looks pretty good. And I told him, Hey, my trust is in your hands." So we went out. Um, got set up in what looked like a really good spot with a lot of deer sign. Um, got on the ground. Uh, you know, I, I had all my gear ready to go. Um, Josh had let me a, a really awesome jacket that I, that I took out in the field with me that had a built-in face mask. And, um, I was using it to cover up my face to give me a little extra camouflage. But what I found was as I was breathing through the face mask, my glasses would fog up. So, um, I figured, well, Hey, I can't really see anything. So I'll take my glasses off. Fast forward to about maybe, uh, I don't know, six thirty that night. Can I, can I put you in pause um, real quick? Let me, I gotta yeah. ask, I gotta ask you one thing before we get to what you're about to tell us about. Just sure. describe for me how you felt. And maybe this, maybe I should, maybe this is in the morning. But just describe to me what was going through your mind when you got out for your first hunt. So maybe this is in the morning when you went out. Cause you, right, or no, you didn't go out in the morning because you were shooting your bow no, and stuff didn't. like that in the morning. Exactly. Yeah, so this exactly. was your first hunt with Jason in the evening. Okay. Yeah. So you sit down, you're yeah. settled, it gets quiet. Where's your head at? Are you just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening? Or are you, holy crap, I'm nervous. What if a deer shows up? Like, what are you thinking at this point? So first thought is, it's definitely a little cold. (laughs) Um, but I mean, I, I was just excited and it was just kind of the realm of the unknown at that point. Right. So, uh, what am I expecting? What should I look out for? I mean, my, my brain kind of turned off, of you know, to only really focus on the, the matter at hand was let's see some deer. 
So it was a mixture of a lot of different emotions between, you know, not knowing what to expect to, you know, okay, if I see a deer, what do I do? Um, making sure I stay cool, calm and collected. Um, so it was a mixture of a lot of different things. Yeah. Okay. So now with that in mind, now we know what your mindset was. Now you got fogged up glasses. You can't see anything. <laughs> you take them off. What's next? What's next? I, I was just kind of scanning the, the, the woods that were in front of me. And I think I noticed a, a change in the landscape and I, I couldn't really tell what it was. I, I wanted to say it was deer, but I didn't know if it was my mind playing tricks on me. So, uh, I spent about five minutes trying to convince myself what I was really looking at. And I, I finally just gave up and said, you know, screw this. I'm going to throw the glasses back on and see what's out there. I fumbled around, threw my glasses back on. And then what I was looking at once I threw them back on was a deer staring me right in the eyes. <laughs> and I immediately said deer. Um, and I guess where I was oriented uh, I had like a little window between some trees where um, Jason wasn't really able to see what I was looking at because he was sitting kind of behind me and to the right. So he was looking at a, a, a pile of woods and then I was looking through this window at this deer. And what proceeded was probably a staring contest that seemed to have lasted an eternity. <laughs> <laughs> and I, became overcome with just a roller coaster of different emotions from being nervous to being excited to being cold as heck. <laughs> um, and I, you know, couldn't really control myself. And I just started shaking, <laughs> <laughs> started shaking, um, you know, had the fear of failure in my mind, fear that I would, would have gotten busted and spooked off the deer. Um, at one point, I think the deer put its, put its head down and I became a little more comfortable thinking, oh, you know, all right, I think we're okay. But to, only to have her pop her head back up and can, continue to stare right into my eyes. And I think at one point I told Jason, I think, I think she's staring into my soul, man. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is crazy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. And so what so happened? That, that proceeded. Yep. So that proceeded to happen for about 20 minutes. Oh, man. Um, she shifted off to the right to where what seemed to be my shooting lane. And I took that as an opportunity to maybe get in position. Um, right when I did that, I guess what we didn't notice was that there was deer over off to our left. So when I shifted, I had spooked some deer over off to our left. And um, we heard the deer kind of bust out of there and started, you know, I think uh, blowing at us. Mm -hmm. Um and then as I waited to have the other doe that was, uh, you know, in front of me pop up into my shooting lane, I think ended up walking off. So although we didn't get a shot at, you know, the, the deer that was in front of us, it was still just a, a crazy set of events that occurred and a set of emotions that I never, never really experienced before. Right. Just yeah. an adrenaline, adrenaline rush that I can't really explain very well. And you were telling us that night, you know, you, you've done all these other things that have given you like a rush of excitement. Like, uh, I don't remember what your examples were, but you've done a roller coaster ride. You've done this thing. You've done that thing. And nothing else was this type of feeling, right? Definitely. Yeah. Like I've been out West 
snowboarding. I've done, you know, a decent amount of mountain biking. I've caught a ton of fish, but the, what I felt that night was, was, I can't compare it to anything else. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's just hearing like when you came back and shared that story with us, that was, you know, one of the highlights for me, just hearing about the excitement that you had. Um, and that night, that night ended up being doubly exciting uh, because we had some some interesting things going on, me and Mike, on our hunt. Um, so we had several interesting things happen. First off, Mike and I went and head back to the same chunk of ground we hunted in the morning only to find two trucks parked in the parking lot there. So I'm thinking, well, you know what? We passed by another little spot that didn't have any trucks in the parking lot. And I looked at the map as we were driving. I was like, ooh, I like that too. So that was kind of in the back of my head already. So when we got to the parking lot and saw two other people, I thought, you know what? Let's just turn back and go to this other spot. So we go to this other spot, park, we get all set, we start hiking in. And this was, there was a crop field up front and then bunch of nasty swamp behind it with a couple little pockets of islands and high ground out in that swamp. And I thought there was a couple of regions that we'd be able to sneak way back in there and get in between where deer might come off of those islands where they'd be bedded coming towards that crop field. Um, and Mike, you got tall boots or did you have boots by then? No, you were still rocking the hikers, no. I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. So we had hikers, but I thought we could get in there and we're walking down the field edge and there's a lot of sign. Like, I mean, there was a whole bunch of tracks, weren't there? I mean, quite a, quite a lot of sign. Um, so I was feeling good about that. There were definitely deer feeding in this field, probably after dark, I figured. But if we got in the right intercept zone, we catch these does coming out. So we get to the point where I want to cut into the woods, get to kind of the inside corner of this field. And I'm looking at my phone to look at the map and I'm looking at the ground. I look at my phone, look at the ground and I look up and there's another hunter sitting in a tree right in front of us, just like waving like, ah, <laughs> crap. I don't know what you were thinking at that point. We had two hunters in one place. Now there's another guy. <laughs> what were you thinking at this point? Well, you know, we saw hunters everywhere. <laughs> so I wasn't really surprised. I'm thinking, all right, well, it's just another opportunity to see where else we can fit in. So, I mean, from my perspective, wanting some technical learning, I got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good options of where to go. <laughs> yeah, I guess you, I guess you learned how the the necessity of being able to adapt. <laughs> we had to adapt yeah, to a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of changing. Yeah, a lot of changing. So then I slipped back to where we'd seen most of the tracks come to the field because I liked that area too, and I could see in the map that there was a cluster of of high pieces in the swamp with these oak trees out there. So I thought there's probably deer bedded out there as well. So we slipped into the swamp, worked our way towards those and got set up in another zone, sat there for maybe 45 minutes or an hour. And then we heard a cough. Do you remember that? Do you remember the cough? Yeah. Cause I turned to you, I hear the cough. I'm like, Ooh, that's a deer. That sounded like a deer cough. Cause deer cough just like that. Um, but then in the back of my mind, I'm like, or it's a hunter. Let's hope it's not a hunter. <laughs> and and then, I don't know, another 15 minutes later, something like that, I kept thinking about it, kept thinking about it. And I was like, you know what? I better just take a peek. So I got I got around the corner. I don't know. I walked like five yards. And then there's another guy sitting on the ground like 50 yards away from us. So that was frustrating. So I said, all right, we got to move again. And so now I decided to move further into the swamp, but got upwind of that guy 
and try to kind of cut the distance between those two hunters and try to find some zone where there might be deer moving that weren't impacted by these other people. And we just slipped along the side of this island, getting closer and closer to like a really wet cat tally part of the swamp. And it found a spot where several trails all came together. You could see two different edges of habitat types, and it seemed like probably the best we could get. And it was down to the last hour or less of daylight at that point. So figured this is the, the best chance we could have, and, and we settled down. Um, so tell me this, though, Mike. Before we get to the end of that hunt, um, one of your big goals for this experience, it seemed, from our conversation and from what you've said here, one of those things that you really just wanted like that next level of knowledge, like how do I do this on my own? How do I actually make sense of what I'm seeing? Um, so you can go out there and do this without, you know, the family saying, Oh, sit in that bucket. Uh, do, do you feel like, do you tell us about what you learned? Tell us about if any of that stuff was helpful that I was saying and sharing with you. Um, did you come away from this experience with some new ideas and ways to look at it? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the tools that I think is really cool. And I'm sure you'll appreciate this because I think they're your sponsor (laughs) Uh, is the Onyx map. Um, that thing is really awesome to get that kind of, um, high level overview of, of looking at it. And, you know, I could say firsthand that as we moved around out there, you know, that map was out all the time and it was really helpful, uh, to keep track of where we were and where we were going um, and you showed me a number of different times, like the things that you were looking for on the map. Um, and that was really cool to see not only from the map, but then to see it also in real life and yeah. connect the theory to, to the real life action and how that worked. Um, looking for those edges of different types of habitat, looking for the feeding ground versus the bedding ground, mm-hmm. um, and kind of keeping in mind the, uh, direction of the wind while trying to get in between those different areas. One thing that was really interesting to me that I'd never heard before really is sitting in different areas. If it's the morning versus if it's the nighttime, oh, yeah. um, you know, whether they're moving from bedding habitat to feeding habitat or the reverse and how um, you need to adjust your, basically your, your entrance and exit based upon that. Um, and so all of those things to me were really interesting and we did them firsthand. So, you know, I think that's the kicker. It's one thing to hear about it or listen to it or think about it. It's another thing to be doing it. Um, so at this point, you know, I feel like, um, I can absolutely go find a piece of, uh, wood that I've never been to before and at least getting, get a good starting point. Man. That's you sound like a pro, Mike. I gotta tell you, whoever taught you really knows what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, they I think sure it's do. I think it was probably the training though that he had before this weekend that, oh, that yeah. probably did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ferder helped out there too, probably. Um, so, so okay. I'm I'm very glad to hear that that stuff stuck and that it that it made sense. Especially, it's it's a great point to think about the fact that these concepts are interesting in theory and interesting to hear about, but it's really hard for it to hit home until you're actually in the field and can confirm all those things. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating, you know, some organ, the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill. I had that when I was a little kid and it was a big deal. Organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients. And as often is the case, those guys were onto something. 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in, ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. O'Reilly Auto Parts offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. If you're confused about what part you need, like what wipers are going to be the best, what replacement headlights are going to be the best, go into O'Reilly and talk to the people that work there because they're great and they're super friendly and they'll get you squared away where you walk out knowing you got the right thing. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. Do you need your windshield wipers replaced? you need a brake light fixed? you need some quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. The professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts are your one-stop shop for all things auto do-it-yourself, and you can find what you need in-store or online. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit us at O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash eater. Okay, so we moved to the new spot. How about you walk me through then how the hunt ended? Yeah, absolutely. So we're sitting <laughs> in this final spot i think that was our fourth spot for the day uh-huh. something like for the evening hunt Just for the we night. Had quite a few spots that night yep and um you know we sat down there and it was pretty thick area lots of lots of tall grass um and so there's not a whole lot of line of sight going on um and we sat there uh for that last hour or so um, and just as it was starting to get dark, um, we could hear the crunching. Um, and that was the moment where, where Mark said, you know, hear that? You know, that's either a deer or a hunter. Um, <laughs> so we kind of just sat there and we perked up. Um, and you get ready, you know, you get into that. For me, it's like you get into that kill mode, you know, where you try to be deadly quiet and just really sit still and really listen hard. Um, and it was so amazing, you know, you can almost feel the sticks crunch when it's moving. Um, and we could tell it was really, really close. And and you could see it. Mark could see it from where he was sitting, but I couldn't see it. I never even did see it um, the whole time. Um, and it was, it was so exciting. But it was that last, you know, eight to ten minutes before the end of shooting light. And, you know, I couldn't see it at all. And then, unfortunately, it was just too dark. And there was nothing we could do about it. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? You, sometimes you get them, sometimes you don't. Um, for me, even that experience, just being so close and and just, you know, it's such a multi-sensory experience. It's just really amazing uh, to commune with nature in that level. Yeah, it was it was really exciting for me. I mean, I was pumped. Um, <laughs> like you said, we could hear we could hear a deer approaching and 
you know, as you mentioned, very tall, swampy grass. So I just slowly stood up out of my seat to try to see over these grasses. And as I stood up, I could just see antlers. And it was a, a buck walking down this trail right to us. And the way it was set up is we were positioned with a trail running across like right and right barely in front of us. And then there was a trail that was running perpendicular to that. Um, on our left, and then there were some trails perpendicular crossing to our right. And this deer was coming from the left side, coming right at us. And all he had to do was keep walking, and he'd cross the path that was across in front of us, and you could shoot straight down that to this deer. And so when I stood up and saw him, I saw this buck walking right down the path, and he was only like, by the time he stopped, he was probably three steps away from getting into that. And I was just like, he's right here. He's going to step right into that lake. Get ready. Get ready. Um, and then, you know, he stopped and froze up, whether he heard me whispering because I was so excited or the wind had died down at that point. There was like no wind. So our wind might have settled or swirled. He might have caught our scent. Um, any number of things might have happened. But he froze up and just didn't move, didn't move, didn't move. And I am looking at my phone and seeing how much time is left with shooting light. And I'm thinking, oh, man, we're down to four minutes down to three minutes down to like whatever it was it was right at the end i was like you know what i just gotta throw a hail mary so i tried just a little contact grunt i pulled my grunt tube just to give a little just on like the off chance like in the last minute he might take two more steps because he was curious what the heck was that and that didn't work he didn't move for another minute and then he bounded off and i don't know bounced bounced 10 yards away and then kept walking again and and it was after shooting hours but uh it was it was exciting and it, he was really close, right? Like how, how far would you say? Oh yeah. Uh, less than 10 yards. He yeah. Was, he was right I mean, uh, it, the ground was super wet. And so you could literally hear those hoofs going in the mud, squishing in yeah. the mud. I mean, it was, it was that close. It was, it was very cool. Yeah. It was, it was fun for me. What was really kind of especially cool, um, or at least on on my side personally, was that I hunt so much and I've seen so many deer that sometimes, and I hate to say this, but sometimes I take it for granted, you know, seeing a buck or seeing a doe um, because I've been very fortunate to have many of these encounters. But being in this position with someone who's a newer hunter who who hasn't killed a deer with a bow before like this and who I know so badly wants to get this opportunity, it made me so, so, so excited to have a year and a half old buck walking in. I mean, I was just as excited about as when I killed my first deer. <laughs> so <laughs> from the mentor side, like that's a really fun thing too. It brings new joy to things that you've done in the past, but you're doing it in a new way. And and that was that was pretty cool. So that takes us to the end of night number one. No one killed a deer. A few other people saw a few, but tough sledding again. The next morning we go out. You and me, Mike, man, we put in the work. We hiked in more than a mile for every hunt. Um, yeah. But we did not see anything the next morning. Dan, you have a story for the last morning. You were uh, You and Jason found a little honey hole, didn't you? Yeah, we sure did. Definitely. What happened? Definitely. So we, so we went back to the same spot, um, figured we'd set up in the same location and, um, got in pretty early, um, maybe an hour and a half before, um, legal shooting hours and, uh, kind of waited it out. I think, um, probably around 8am, 
um, just kind of doing my, my normal scan, um, look to my left and I see what looks like a buck staring right at me. <laughs> so once again, uh, kind of that whole slew of emotions kind of overcame me, but this time I kind of knew it, you know, it's showtime now. So I gotta, I gotta make sure that I'm, I'm cool and I do everything right here to potentially have an opportunity to, to get a shot on. Um, luckily Jason spotted it as well this time. Um, he gave me a range. He said it was about 25 yards out and I said, all right, cool. Um, but what I needed the buck to do was maybe take one step out behind this tree to get my, my shooting lane. And I would have had a perfect broadside shot at him. So, um, I stayed put, um, being that the deer kind of saw me, I think he was pretty curious as to what was kind of moving around out there. Um, he ended up turning away actually for a quick second and Jason brought his grunt tube and gave out a grunt and the deer came right back, right back to the same spot, put his head down. And I took that opportunity to pull my bow back at full draw. So I was ready to go. Um, deer picked his head back up and I was looking at this thing through my people just ready to let it loose once he took that extra step. Um, unfortunately, the deer did exactly the opposite of what we wanted him to do, took a step back and ran off. But what seemed to be, you know, like what felt like five minutes, that 30 seconds of what went down was just absolutely incredible. <laughs> it was so exciting for me to be able to just use what kind of I've been taught and what Jason was letting me know what to do and call my emotions and, and, you know, get myself ready mentally was just so cool. And then also to have my bow out there and be at full draw at a buck was just was so cool. It was, it was an amazing experience. How do you feel like you handled the emotions compared to the night before? Was it a similar rush and shaking or were you able to, you knew what to expect and it wasn't quite the same or what was that like? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I definitely had it at first and I felt that rush of emotions coming, but you know, I put myself in check and just said it's game time and let's go. Um, but, uh, you know, once the deer ran off, it was weird. It was like that those same emotions came rushing right back. And I started shaking again after, you know, the deer had ran off. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I put myself in a position where I, I, I knew what to do, uh, got the opportunity to pull my bow back, and, and I was just I was just ready to go. I, you know, I was, you know, put in that position to succeed, and Jason did everything that he could. Um, fortunately it didn't work out our way, but, um, it was still just, uh, to have that and be so close was, um, just so cool to be, um, be out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that must've been very, very exciting. And like we were saying yesterday, you know, the first time I drew back on a buck, I knocked my arrow off the rest and the deer ran away. The second time I drew back on a buck, I drew back and was so out of my mind that I released without fully aiming and I hit a tree. Um, so you handled it much better than I did. <laughs> <laughs> so nobody ended up shooting a deer, but at least most of the hunters saw some. Most everyone had a little bit of an encounter. Um, so what I'm curious about now, or curious about now, is 
what things do you still see as challenges or uh, areas where you still wish you had more help? Um, I mean, Dan, do you think that you are armed now to go out into the field and hunt on your own? Or are there still some obstacles you're like, gosh, I wish I could still get help with this. Or I, I hope someone could come help me with this other thing. Or what about that? No. Yeah. You know, I definitely feel inspired to get out, get out there on my own. Um, I definitely feel confident enough to, to at least make the initiative to go out. I think what I would be a little unsure about is making sure that the spot I'm setting up at and the strategy that I have in mind, considering everything that we talked about this weekend is, is, is robust. Um, making sure that I'm playing the wind correctly, making sure that I'm picking a spot where I think deer are bedded and would probably go out and feed. I think might need, you know, I might need to run that by somebody to say, okay, this is what I'm working with. And this is what I, I'm thinking my strategy is. What does it sound like to you? Um, so I think that would probably be the biggest thing for me. Um, but I'm definitely, I'm definitely sold on, on taking on the challenge. Um, I think that's what I like about it most is there's so much, um, there's, there's so many different layers of complexity in the different aspects of, of hunting that I think it's, it's, it's super, super cool to maybe take on and, and try to figure those things out. I think that's what's so attractive about the whole sport to yeah. begin with. Yeah, I, I definitely can relate to that. What about you, Mike? What uh, Are there any things that are still holding you back, or do you feel armed and inspired to, to try it on your own? Like, where's your head at? Well, I, I definitely feel like I'm I'm ready. I'm prepared to get out there and try it on my own as far as, like, finding a location and picking, you know, how I'm going to go about it. I definitely agree with Dan. It would be great to have um, that kind of uh, soundboard where you can toss some ideas back and that. Um, now the thing that I'm thinking about next is like, okay, once I found my spot, um, once I pick out kind of a game plan, I think there's some more learning that maybe isn't necessary to get started, but things that I want to learn, like, um, you know, uh, when we were out, you pulled out your grunt, uh, to try to get that buck to come in just a few more steps. Jason's using his grunt uh, kind of for the same thing, to get him to move a little bit. It's it's those type of things now that I'm looking to learn a little bit more about. We all know you can pop into a, a hunting and shooting store. You can find thousands of calls and trinkets and scent this and, you know, spray that. I mean, there's so many different things mm-hmm. out there. But just that kind of next-level knowledge about – you know, what are the fundamental, um, toolkit, I guess that, that you need just to make those next level decisions. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, that's good to hear. Like, I'm glad that you guys both feel like you at least have a starting point. Um, and like, like I talked about with both of you, and I think many of the other mentors did as well. It's our goal as part of this program, not to just have a weekend with you, but to have like a long-term uh, connection. And so, you know, you got my phone number now. If you want to pull up Onyx and mark a waypoint and say, hey, I'm thinking about hunting here, share that with me. Ask me what I think. Like, I'm here for you. I can talk you through like, hey, I think there might be deer in this spot and this spot and just make sure you access it from the West. Um, Like those kinds of conversations are so much fun for me and and for most other hunters. Like we love geeking out about the strategy. Um, So 
I think that's probably the coolest thing. And, and you guys both alluded to this, having that sounding board, having that connection now who can help you think through these things. Right. Um, so I said it before, I'll say it again. Please utilize me in that kind of way. Josh, too. And I know all of your other, all the other people we met, many of them probably said the same things. Um, and, and Mark, that's, I mean, that's really the only way this program succeeds. Um, you know, Dan, you're, you're no different than anybody else going through the program or saying, hey, I, I feel like inspired to get out there. But there's still so many different aspects of it. To do it all on your own is daunting. Um, you've got to have that mentor follow up and in that, um, you know, relationship where you can still get help because you're going to need it. Um, so that's, that, and that's why we try to pair mentors with people that are at least somewhat close to them where they could, um, you know, come out and hunt with you or whatever. Um, so that's really the only way this, this, this type of program succeeds is if you have that mentor follow up and, um, continuing on that relationship. Yeah. Did you have, did you, how, how did it work out for you, Josh? Did you have a good mentor some number well, of years that, ago? That's funny that you asked because I actually wanted to ask Mike um, how it was being mentored by you because we we've both now kind of had you as a mentor and, and I'd, I'd be I'd be interested to I, I, for some reason I feel like Mike's experience is probably much much different uh, than than my experience so maybe I was nicer so Mike, to him. I, yeah yeah probably way nicer so I, I wanted to know Mike what was like Mark's like blood pressure doing when you kept running into people out there like. Could you just kind of like see like steam starting to come out of his ears or kind of what was his uh, what was his makeup as you guys kept running into people? I can only imagine how it was, but I'd like to hear it. I mean, honest to God, he was pretty calm and collective. Uh, he didn't really get that fired up. He, a couple of times he's like, oh, man, there's still more people. And I'm like, yeah, it's OK. We'll just go find another spot. Like, No big deal. <laughs> Well, well he, he was pretty calm about it. <laughs> wow. Well, I don't know. Something's happened with like, Mark, I think, this year. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Am I calming it's down? fatherhood. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it it might be. Yeah. Yeah. It's very true. Did he, like, well, I, did he, like, he yell was... at you and stuff when that deer was coming? He was like, don't move. Like, <laughs> like, shoot, shoot. Like, what was, like, that going? Like, what was his directions like when that deer was coming? <laughs> no. No, I mean, he, he didn't yell at me at all. Not even once. Wow. Uh, uh, before we went out. He he took the time to ask me kind of like what are my what are my goals what am I here to learn what why am I here and he addressed those things really head on I mean the the whole time I, I told him I was looking to learn technical stuff and and he just kind of spewed information for the rest of the trip so it was great he he really did exactly what I asked him to do so it was a great experience man and no yelling. Wow, that's that's great. I'm I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy to hear you had a good positive experience. It, it sounds like Josh, maybe you're the problem. <laughs> yeah. uh, or maybe I was just too sensitive. <laughs> no, I will say though, I remember when that buck was coming in, I was like not yelling, but I was like forcefully whispering to try to make sure he heard me. I'm like, he's right here. Get ready. Get ready. He's right here. <laughs> I was pretty excited. Um, oh man. Yeah. But yeah, it was a, it was a good time and I'm glad that you guys had a positive experience. And, um, I think the final thing I just want to run through is for you, Josh, for those people listening just once again, and I've tried to share this a lot of places, but can you just run down one more time how people can get involved with this, whether they want to be a mentor and help folks out and volunteer, or if they, whether they want to be a mentee and want to get help with this program, how can people do that? Yeah, no, for sure. So, so we've got a, uh, like a landing page on, on QDMA's website 
that's basically everything field to fork. Um, any of the podcasts like this one that we've done um, about field to fork is housed there. We've got the video or the film that we just launched on field to fork a, a few weeks back. That's that's on there. It's got a bunch of the articles that have been written written about um, the field to fork program. So if you just go to qdma.com, I believe it's forward slash field to fork. Um, it takes you right to that. Um, from a national standpoint, if you'd like to, to get in touch with someone at QDMA, um, uh, whether you're a new hunter or someone who wants to mentor, um, reach out to Hank Forrester. Um, hforrester at QDMA.com is his email. Mark, I'm sure you could probably put that on your show notes or something like that. Yep. Um, and then if you're, in, if you're in Michigan or Indiana or like Western Ohio, definitely feel free to reach out to me. Um, I can get you pointed in the right direction, hopefully. Um, or really if you're anywhere, you can, you can reach out to me and I, I can get you where you need to be. Um, and my email is jhilliard at qdma.com. Perfect. All right. Well, highly, highly, I can't highly recommend enough for those of you that do hunt, for those of you out there listening to the podcast that love to get out in the woods and love to be out in nature and learn about deer and hunt deer and feed your families and feed your friends. If you've had that privilege and that experience, you owe it. And I I don't mean to be preachy here, but you owe it to everyone else to give it back a little bit and to make sure that other people get to experience that joy and that powerful connection too. It's too, simply put, it's too awesome of a thing that we have to not share with people. So I can tell you that, go ahead, Josh. No, I was just going to say, and it doesn't have to be a program like this to get someone new out there, right? I mean, if you know a friend or a family member or a neighbor, just take them out with you. It doesn't have to be like a formal program like this. I mean, these are a lot of fun. They're, they're great, but you know, to really move the needle, it's, it's gotta be hunters that are just willing to take somebody out with them. So even if it's not through a program like this, just, just take someone with you, even if they just sit with you to, to experience it. Um, it it can definitely make a difference. Very true. And what about, Final thoughts from you guys, Mike. Uh, how about you? If you if you were to be able to, let's say, there's an auditorium full of people that you're standing in front of, and they're all folks like you guys. Either they've never hunted before, or maybe they had a little bit of hunting experience in the past, but they fell away from it, and now they're considering trying to get back into it again. If you had that group of people in front of you, uh, what would you tell them right now about trying hunting again, or about this program, or, or anything that you learned over the weekend? Well, I just think that it's such a powerful experience and for me it's about so much more than just the deer just the kill it's really you know it's the whole experience like when do you get an opportunity to go sit in the woods like i i I was telling you um you know after our first hunt one of the times that i like the most is after that first 45 minutes or so when the rest of nature forgets that you're there and everything comes back to life. And all of a sudden the squirrels are out and the chipmunks are out and the birds. Um, we had a great experience with a red tail hawk. Yeah. Um, you know, we found a bunch of uh, really awesome mushrooms out there. Oh, of yeah. course, I'm a chef. So I, I geek out about the forage and, you know, we talked about the fact that you can eat cattails and like all kinds of stuff. And so for me, it's that whole nature experience. It's like, it's like going to church, man. You get a time to sit there with your thoughts and to be a smaller part of a bigger world. And um, hopefully you get the opportunity to 
to experience the kill and the stalking of a of a beautiful animal. So, I mean, it's it's really something that everybody should take. You just get out there and try it. You just have to try it. Yeah, it's a great great experience. And what about you, Dan? What would you tell to that auditorium? Yeah, I mean, uh, kind of similar to what Mike said. I I mean, just being out there, it was just such a great way to disconnect from all the other pressures and, and, and things going on in your day-to-day life and just turning off and, and focusing on, you know, what's going on around you out in the field. It, it, it's just such a, a fun experience, whether you see deer or not, just to take a step out and, and find some, find some land, maybe find some friends like, like-minded interests and, and head out there and just enjoy, enjoy the resources that you have right in front of you. And, um, you know, I, I definitely have, a lot of respect for what, you know, you guys are doing with this program. I, I mean, it's just, it's, it's bigger than just teaching people how to hunt. Right. I mean, I know Mark, you've talked about how the number of hunters are on the decline and, and getting people out there and introducing them to the sport is, uh, you know, there's a longer term goal with all this. It's, it's, it's going to help protect, you know, our wildlife resources, the, the money that's spent towards, you know, different management of habitat it's it's bigger than just taking us out it's it's ensuring the future of what we have and and making sure that you know tomorrow is is protected so um it's it's a great it's a great program and it's you know definitely a lot of a lot of respect for what um these programs are doing and any mentor that goes out and helps get new people involved in the sport i think it's it's amazing yeah yeah, well, I, I couldn't have said it better. Um, you guys have got it nailed. I might need to hire you to be um, to be spokespeople for this. <laughs> um, yeah, you guys were listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Very true. Um, yep, let me know. Well, this is this is great. I appreciate you guys coming out and, and taking a leap and trying something new and getting out of your comfort zone and um, joining us for this experience. It was so much fun, I think, for everyone. And I'm... I'm excited and reinvigorated to keep at it and hopefully share this kind of thing with more people. So I will leave you guys with one uh, piece of homework, just one to-do list, and that is that you both need to go out and hunt again, and you both need to either call me or text me beforehand and after to talk about what you're going to try to do and how it went so we can have some strategy debrief sessions. Um, selfishly, that's probably my favorite thing during hunting season and maybe it'll help you guys a little too. So can you do that? <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Absolutely, man. Perfect. Hey, All right. Mark, can I just, can I just say one more thing here before we wrap up? You sure can. Um, I, I just want to give a, a big shout out and a thank you to, um, all the mentees that, that, did come out the new hunters that came out um for this weekend and i also did one last weekend in the lansing area so between the two weekends we had 16 new hunters out in the woods um so a huge thank you to all of all of these new hunters that signed up and actually showed up to do it and uh, another big thank you and shout out to all the mentors who came out i mean we can't do these types of programs without dedicated volunteers and, and people really taking the time out of their own hunting schedule um, to come out and, and, and help out with these types of programs. And, um, you know, we had, uh, mentors, you know, 16 mentors for each weekend. So, um, we had a couple even double up that did both weekends. So a huge thank you to all those guys and gals that, 
took time out of their schedules that I'm sure they're busy and, and wanted to give back to a program like this. So, so thank you to, to all of you who went through this program. It was, it was awesome putting both of these on and um, it's a lot of work, but man, it is well, well worth it. And I guess I should say, well done to you too, Furter. That's a lot of work. So good job Thanks, organizing man. it. It turned out great. You did a dang good job. And um, I think on that note, we will wrap it up. So good luck, Mike. Good luck, Dan. And let's stay in touch. Sounds good. Thanks. It was an Absolutely. honor. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having us. And that's going to do it, folks. Thank you for listening. I hope uh, this gave you just a little bit more information or a little bit more of a kick in the behind to uh, introduce new folks to this wonderful thing that we get to do, which is hunting. Uh, and hopefully those tips at the front end on hunting the pre-rut were helpful as well. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for my own hunts. Uh, next time we chat, I'll be back from the Boundary Waters with an update. Hopefully there's some stories to share there. And the rut will basically be upon us. So holy smokes. Hope you're ready. Hold on to your seats. <laughs> so until next time, good luck hunting and stay wired to hunt. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. You simply pour a can into your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. So pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.